listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. That, if you missed it, was the wonderful... Kenneth E. Hagan. Uh, Brother Kenneth Hagan, um, powerful man of God. I went to that Bible school, uh, spent time there, uh, received impartation, loved him, and literally um, one of the most life-changing things ever, being there for two years. And um, just to see how the Holy Ghost used him, it was supernatural. It's like today, I'm watching, you know, people uh, even just watching that, watching that video, I saw somebody commenting, you know, like this creeps me out. This kind of freaks me out a little bit. And uh, the thing about it is, is that person who commented, that's not alone. There's people that feel like that uh, all over America. Anytime the Holy Ghost does anything, you know, that's why we have churches now that uh, are, are literally moving further and further away from the Holy Ghost. And uh, it's crazy to understand that. Jesus sent the Holy Ghost to be our comforter, our guide, the one who empowers us, the one who equips us. And, you know, there's church, churches, denominations, and Christians that literally will see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they'll use that exact verbiage. It, you know, we don't want to go that direction because it's a little bit uh, weird for the visitors. It's a little bit creepy. Uh, for those that, uh-oh, we're losing focus. Are we on autofocus? Come back to me. Come back to me. It's focusing on the wall for some reason. Um, that, that are doing that. It's like they'll see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and then uh, it just, they've never seen it before. And because they've never seen it before, it's like, oh, what is this? Is this God? I don't, I'm not sure. You know, it, and that's why it freaks people out. It's like, I don't know what to think about this. And then you have pastors that maybe they have seen it. Maybe they grew up in it. And that's the sad thing. You've got Pentecostal denominations of pastors and Christians that did grow up in this. They did see this. They did understand this, but they've been tricked into thinking that in order to be effective in 2021 or whatever year it is when you're watching this, um, that we've got to kind of step away from that because, uh, outsiders don't understand it. Outsiders just don't understand it. And, uh, it'll be a turnoff for them if they see these things happening. You know, if, if they see the Holy spirit at work and in manifestation, Hey faith. And so they've got this thought process that we need to somehow we need to kind of tame. This is sad for me to even say this. We need to tame the Holy spirit so that it's not as, uh, it's not as, uh, uh out there for visitors, for people that have never seen this before. What a crazy thought. What a crazy thing to say or a way to live your life or to run your church or ministry that we're trying somehow to tame the Holy Spirit's moving in his manifestations. What a crazy way to live that he's actually the one that's leading us. We're not leading him. (laughs) He's leading us. In fact, I want you to put that in the comments today. I'm not leading the Holy Spirit. He's leading me. Put that in the comments because that's so vital. 
I'm not leading the Holy Spirit. He's leading me. Jesus said, when I send him the comforter, he will lead you and he will guide you into all truth. So I, I want, I want us to start right there. Start right there. We're starting with the thought process that I'm not leading the Holy ghost and I'm not his boss. <laughs> He's leading me. He's my head. He's my boss. He's the third person of the Trinity of the Godhead. I'm not telling God what to do. He's telling me what to do. And so, no, I can understand that Don. And that's how, that's where a lot of people are at. They, they don't because they've been taught that way. They, they came up in churches that were like that. And I don't blame the people that are in the churches. I blame the leaders that have not properly taught the scripture. Because when you properly teach the scripture and understand the Holy Spirit never comes to hurt us. He doesn't come to drive people away from Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that's bringing people to Christ. Nobody can be saved unless the spirit of God draws them. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is not pushing people away from Jesus. He is pulling people to Jesus and we need the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our churches like never before. And I'm honest, I'll be honest with you. I am totally unashamedly Pentecostal. I mean, I don't try to hide it. I'm not a camouflage Pentecostal. I'm not a neo Pentecostal, whatever in the world that means. That's an actual thing that like people are, are saying now. It's like, I'm a neo Pentecostal. This focus is going to tick me off. It's like drifting in and out. There's no way for you to change it on the fly, huh? It's like go from autofocus and like not, not be autofocus. Cause it's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, I know I'm not that handsome, but you know, blurry me is a whole lot worse than, <laughs> than regular me. Um, it's this crazy wall probably behind me that I like. It's just grabbing all the focus. Uh, yeah, you've heard me sing the song. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm not ashamed that I'm Pentecostal. Why would we be ashamed that we receive the gift that the Holy Spirit came that Jesus sent him to us? That was the whole point. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Why would we be ashamed that we received his gift, the gift that he sent? Thank you. That helped. You know, if autofocus is off now, I guess. Thanks. No, have these people have to look at a blurry son of a gun. <laughs> and that's the thing. Why would we be ashamed? I mean, think about that logically. Why would I be ashamed that I received the gift that Jesus sent to the church? He literally told his disciples, uh-oh, literally bells already ringing. That was one. He told his disciples that I don't want you to do anything else. I don't want you to go anywhere else. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you are filled with power from on high. That's how he closed, that's how Luke closed his gospel in that narrative, talking about what Jesus told his followers. He said, don't go to anywhere else, don't preach the gospel, don't do the work until you are clothed with power from on high. And they obeyed him. They obeyed him. They stayed in the upper room 10 days after his ascension until the day of Pentecost and when it had fully come. And they were all in one place and in one accord, there came a sound from heaven, 
like a rushing mighty wind. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And do you notice this? Can I, can I make a point here? I'll make a point. That was a strong manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But did you notice that the Lord did the exact opposite thing on the day of Pentecost than that most churches are trying to do today? Notice what the Lord did versus what most seeker-sensitive churches are doing. The Lord had his people gathered in the upper room, but they weren't closed away to where no one could see them. The Bible says that there were Jews in Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebration from all over. Every nation under heaven, they were there. And as they were there, they were all in a position to be able to hear and see what the believers were doing and saying. So notice that as uh, the believers, the 120, began to all speak with other tongues and they begin to all manifest the presence of God, all of these people, thousands, not a few, thousands of Jews could hear and could see what was going on with the believers. They didn't put it in a back room. They didn't do it in a church basement. They didn't try to hide it from the population. These were not Christians. These were unsaved people that were watching, but they didn't try to hide it from the unsaved. God didn't try to hide it from the unsaved. He put it right out in the middle where everybody could see it. And then the miracle took place of those people being able to understand, which is a miracle, by the way, these, there's, there's no way to teach or preach that the disciples, the followers of Christ in the upper room were speaking foreign languages. There's no way to teach or preach that that's not taught anywhere in the Bible. That's not what speaking in tongues is the miracle that had to have taken place by process of elimination. The, the miracle that had to have taken place on the day of Pentecost is that they spoke in unknown heavenly tongues, as the Bible says they would, and that God allowed these unbelievers to hear the believers speaking in their own language. In fact, if you go there, I'll read that to you and show you. If you go to Acts chapter 2, now this will blow your mind because remember, the Bible tells us that there were Jews from every nation under heaven. That's verse five. That's Acts two, five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as the believers were speaking in tongues, look at this. The Bible says, verse six, Acts two, six. And at this sound, at what sound? The sound, they heard them all speaking in tongues. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Now listen to why they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them, the whole group, speak in his own language. Let me break that down. It doesn't say that some Jews heard some of the believers speaking their language. And other Jews heard some of the other believers speaking their language. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when they heard this sound, they came together and they were bewildered because each 
foreigner, each one, maybe you've never caught this before, you should catch it today, each foreign Jewish person from out of town, from out of the country, each individual heard the whole group of believers speaking his language. That's why you know it's a miracle. Because let's say, for example, there was one Jew that had been living in in Asia, or you know, let's just say for the sake of today, China. Let's say there was a Chinese Jew that was there. The Bible is saying the Chinese Jew heard all 120 speaking Chinese. And then there was, uh, you know, a Jew from, let's say, uh, Russia. And that Jew heard the whole 120 speaking Russian. So they weren't speaking foreign languages. They were speaking in a heavenly language. They were speaking in tongues. But the miracle was God allowed each individual unbeliever to hear what they were saying in his native language. That was a miracle that happened on the day of Pentecost. That was a miracle. And and notice this, that it didn't really take place that way ever again in the Bible. We don't really have a record of that ever happening again in the Bible. It happened this one time. And we understand that it wasn't God's desire to hide the manifestations of the Holy Ghost from sinners. That's never been his desire. Yet, it's what some Christian churches think they need to do. And here's what's mind-blowing. Paul never taught that that's how tongues were supposed to function. In fact, he taught the opposite. He said, uh, in an assembly setting, if somebody stands up and gives a word in tongues, this is 1 Corinthians 14, by the way, if somebody stands up and gives a word in tongues in an assembly, there should be someone who does what? Interprets it. Okay, well, if that's not how tongues works, if tongues is this supernatural ability to speak a foreign language for the purpose of evangelism, why do we need a person to then interpret what was said if I'm speaking your native language when I speak in tongues? Doesn't make sense, does it? And so it shows you, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he didn't view tongues that way. He said there needs to be an interpretation if someone speaks in tongues. So that shows you the reason there needs to be an interpretation is what he taught in 1 Corinthians 14. When a man speaks in tongues, no man understands him. No man. That's 1 Corinthians 14. You read it right at the beginning of the chapter. Listen to it. Verse 2. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. When, for one who speaks in a tongue, speaks not unto men, but unto God. It's a heavenly language. For no one understands him, the Bible says. He utters mysteries in the spirit. So let me ask you a question. I want you guys to answer it in the comments section. Is Russian mysteries in the spirit? Is Cantonese mysteries in the spirit? Is Greek mysteries in the spirit? Is Spanish mysteries in the spirit? No, no. Those languages can all be understood by men. Those languages can all be understood by men. And so it's not mysteries in the spirit. They were not speaking in known earthly languages. Doesn't even make sense in the context. They were speaking unto God like Paul taught. 
anyone that speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. That's why Paul then taught there needs to be an interpreter. If somebody gets up, now, let me break this down because there doesn't need to be an interpreter every time you speak in tongues. This is where people get off. This is where people get off. And see, there's another, there's another great question in the comments on Facebook. Pierre asks, so what does it mean when it says it's a sign for unbelievers? So here's the question before we get into any of that. How, how could it be a sign for unbelievers if there aren't supposed to be unbelievers present when it's taken place? You ever think of that? It's like all these churches that are forbidding tongues, that are despising prophecy, that don't want the Holy Ghost moving in their services. Here's a question for you. How can tongues be assigned to the unbeliever if tongues shouldn't happen while unbelievers are present? Makes no sense, does it? It's just that these fleshly leaders have allowed themselves to strip the church of its own power by stepping outside of the Holy Spirit and his manifestations to make Christianity more palatable for people that don't want to change. And that's what it is, by the way. It's to make Christianity more palatable for people who don't want to change because you can't have encounters with the Holy Ghost and decide not to change. You either have to change or you have to, either you'll have to go out because the Holy Spirit will just keep convicting you and convicting you and convicting you until you either change or you leave. So the, so the thing we start to realize is, is how, how is it a sign for the unbeliever? Not what does it mean? How, do, how is that even possible? And you got churches. Well, we don't really allow speaking in tongues, you know, in our Sunday morning services. Oh, really? I'm sorry, I didn't know you were the Holy Ghost. I didn't know you were the Holy Ghost choosing to allow and disallow what manifestations can happen. So Jenny says on Facebook, I didn't know that. Is that just personal tongues or public? No, so if you were to stand up in a service, now by the way, remember that, I love this because Pastor Hans Hess in uh, Elizabeth City, North Carolina was making a point to me the other day, was really uh, brought up a great thought. He was over, um, he was over in, uh, I think, Turkey and Greece. He was doing the Steps of Paul tour, I think. Um, And he was going through, this tour guide was taking him through some of these homes where the churches would have met in Ephesus, uh, which is Turkey, where churches would have met in Corinth and Greece, different places, right? And he's going through these houses and it's a great room, probably just about the size of this church room that I'm in right now. It's, it's not, you know, very massive. You know, what would you say? This is like 36 feet long by maybe, uh, 18 feet to 20 feet wide. This is like a 36 by 20 room or something like that. And you think about the fact the churches were meeting together in a room of this size. So imagine it's not a massive sanctuary. It's not Lakewood church. You've got a, a room where people are coming together and they're meeting uh, and there's, let's say there's 80, 90, 100 people jammed into a room. What are you going to do if you've got people jumping up nine at a time, giving words in tongues? Obviously, that's what Paul is discussing in 1 Corinthians 14. He's saying, listen, you've got an issue because your churches are, there's chaos in your church services because you've got people jumping up in these in these services that are packed with people in the room's very small. There's no sound system. Nobody's using a microphone. 
speaking above the crowd to keep control. Nobody's doing that. Everybody's just speaking with their own voice. And if you've got people jumping up all over the place that are just giving words in tongues and there's no interpretation, Paul said their understanding's unfruitful. So rather than do that, do it in an orderly fashion where if somebody gets up to give a word in tongues to the body from the Lord, you know, this is what never, this is what blows my mind. Um, there's a difference between praying and giving a message. Put that in the comments because I'm going to help some people right now. There's a difference between praying your dialogue with God and giving a message. If I show up to a church to preach, I'm going to give the congregation a message. There's something that I'm going to tell them from the Holy Spirit or from the word of God. There is a difference between praying and giving a message. So let me ask you a question. Isn't there a difference if somebody stands up and, and says, all right, now you're going to receive, you're going to receive this message from me. And you stand up and you begin to, whether you do either one of these gifts of the spirit, whether you stand up and give a word in tongues and then give the interpretation in the known language of whatever country you're in. There's a difference between that and a difference between praying in tongues when you're by yourself. It's not the same thing. One is you giving a message to God's people from the Lord. The other is your personal prayer time. It's the same in English. There's a difference between me standing up, opening up my Bible and addressing the congregation and preaching a message to them from the word. There's a difference between that and me going home and praying to God. Me praying to God is not me preaching a message to the congregation. They're two different things. And in the same way, there's a difference when someone stands up to give a word in tongues with interpretation, or if somebody is just praying to God in their heavenly language, it's a difference. The problem we have is that people today in these denominational churches that reject the moving of the spirit is that they don't see a difference between giving a message in a public assembly and praying in your personal prayer language of tongues. But Paul saw the difference. I don't know why they don't see the difference because in this same exact chapter, Paul saw the difference. Paul saw the difference. Listen to what he said. This is still in 1 Corinthians 14, by the way. Paul knew the difference clearly. So he said this, when you're in an assembly... If you're in an assembly, then what you should do is if you give a word in tongues, then you should also pray that you may interpret. Why? So that the people who are listening in the church can be edified, can be built up, can be strengthened by the word that was given in tongues. But that's not all. It's the same with prophecy. He said, that's why I would rather that uh, you prophesy. Because that way people, because what they were doing was they weren't interpreting. Read this in context. You know, it's funny how people pluck these things completely out of their context. Paul's actually dealing with a problem that's going on in the Corinthian church. Disorderly worship. So he's giving them instructions about what they should do when they're in an assembly. Listen, if you, go, if you jump up and give a word in tongues, interpret it. So that everybody else that's there 
their understanding will become fruitful and they'll be edified and built up. He said, if you prophesy, then you skip that step because literally you don't, there's the literally bell again. Um, (laughs) If you prophesy, it's coming out in their known language. So there's no need for interpretation because they're already understanding what you're saying. But then he, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop talking about it there. Go on. Listen to what he says. He says, verse uh, 13, let's start there. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 13, listen. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. That's talking about praying in tongues. And I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. You see that? And then he said this in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul was not saying that he speaks in tongues and interprets more than all of them because he understood the difference between what goes on in a public assembly and what goes on in your personal prayer life. You see, Yeah, Don said, I I used to be absolutely certain that that meant that I needed to understand while I was praying in the spirit. No, no, that's not what he's saying. Paul's making a difference, a a, a distinction, Don, between praying in the spirit and praying in his known language. He's saying, I'll do both. I'll pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my mind. I'll sing praises with my spirit and I'll sing with my mind. I speak in tongues more than all of you. So what's the point? So what's the point of speaking in tongues if as some have taught that all it's for is to evangelize those who don't speak your language that gives you the supernatural ability to speak their language so that you can give them the gospel. That's not how Paul ever taught it. The Holy Spirit never had Paul teach the church or the early church or any other apostles that now that you've got the gift of tongues, you can now go preach in any nation that you want and you'll be able to speak their language and give them the gospel. That is not what was taught at all. They even tried that in the early Pentecostal church and it did not work because that's not what tongues is and that's not what it does. And so I'm blown away that we've got churches all over America That literally, there's another one, there's churches all over America that used to be Pentecostal. They used to value the move of the Holy Ghost. They used to value manifestations of the spirit, but something happened. And this is why I truly believe that uh, the seeker sensitive church movement is an attack against the church. Because imagine this, you've got a group of leaders that are thinking to themselves, what can we do to make church more palatable for people who are dead in their trespasses and in their sins? So what they're saying is, I want to be sensitive to the seeker. I want to give them what they're looking for. That's what that term means. If you're being sensitive to the seeker, 
I want to give them something that they're seeking. And so as a result, uh, you know, I mean, do, do the study on church history for yourself over the last 30 years. You know what's happened? We've gotten away. We've gotten away from teaching doctrine in our churches. Churches don't teach doctrine anymore unless they've got good leaders that understand the need for it. We've gotten away from teaching doctrine. We've, we've gotten from going from deep teaching on the word doctrine into surface level series that scrape the very bare bones minimum of the word of God. Things that are, and I'm not against series, but I'm teaching you the fact that the things that happened during this seeker sensitive movement is that they made some choices. They went more entertainment based than they did word based. We stopped making disciples and started looking for seats to be filled. Big difference between somebody filling a seat and somebody becoming a disciple. And you don't accidentally become a disciple and you don't become a disciple at no cost. And the, and the difference is, is that when we stopped making disciples and when we stopped preaching doctrine, now you've just got a bunch of people that have come for the entertainment factor. They like the get together factor. They like the, um, what do you want to call it? It's like a, it's like a social club where we're not teaching people what they believe. And so that, you know, what we're doing, they're ill-equipped to go out into the world and to live their life for God and to stand in faith because they don't even know what they believe. They don't even know what they believe. So if they're attacked by the enemy, you know what happens? If some, if let's say they get attacked with sickness by the devil, they don't even know if they should believe in healing. You know why? They've got a church that won't teach them doctrinal truths and won't even teach them why they believe what they believe. So as a result, they've got people that are, you can easily talk them into believing God's will. That's God's will for you to have that sickness. He's teaching you to be strengthened. He's teaching you to rely more fully on him. It's easy to talk those people into that because they've got no spiritual leaders who have preached doctrine into their spirit to give them an understanding of why we believe what we believe. And so, you know, this whole seeker sensitive church movement, remove doctrinal teaching, fill it with entertainment, fill it with networking, you know, keep, keep your preaching unoffensive. Don't preach against sin. Don't preach things that would make people uncomfortable. Don't preach things that would make people leave the seat and not come back next week because we need them in the seat because we have a building payment, mortgage payment that we can't afford. So we need their money and and everything has been changed. And the, the Holy spirit has been dismissed from his own house because people are ashamed. It's really an anti-Christ attitude. It's an anti-Christ spirit. I want to show you something. Paul warned Timothy about this. He warned him. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was not just giving a warning to Timothy, but he was also giving prophecy for the church. This is also prophecy for the church. Blows my mind. You know what he taught? He said, in the last days, you're going to have teachers. Times of difficulty, but why? Why will there be times of difficulty? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. By the way, I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you're wondering where I was. There'll be 
proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. They'll be heartless and unappeasable, slanderous and without self-control, brutal, not loving good. I mean, think about the things he's prophesying. Listen to this. Not only that, but verse four, they'll be treacherous and reckless and swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'd rather go to the lake house than be faithful to church on Sunday morning. Verse five, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Think about it. How many churches today, and I'm for the church. I want you to understand this. I'm a preacher. I'm for the church. I'm standing with the true church of God. I'm not against pastors. I'm not against churches. I want to see churches be Bible-based churches. I want to see churches that are New Testament, accurate to the New Testament apostolic teaching kind of churches. Not these things that we've made up and somebody got their ordination papers from a website on the internet and started meeting in. A, you know, I'm not looking for some man-made thing. I want to see people that will teach what the Bible says and that they will say what God said and do what God wants done. Look at this. They will have a form of godliness. That's all over the world today. A form of godliness and denying its power. How should we treat those types of people in churches? From those people, turn away. Or this translation says, avoid such people. So there you go. Avoid such people. I don't have a desire. I don't have a desire to make all these friendships. And, and I don't need everybody to like me. I don't need, need everybody to approve of what I'm doing. Avoid such people. From such, turn away, King James. I'm not setting up alliances with people that mock the Holy Ghost. I'm not setting up alliances with people that don't agree in the, with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Turn away from those types of people. They've got a form of godliness and they deny God's power. They deny God's power. Hmm. Sad. It's sad. Let me, let me, uh, let me show you something here. Because here's, here's the thing that really freaks people out is that there are literally teachers, there's another one, there are teachers in the churches that are doing exactly what the Bible says not to do. There are leaders of churches that are doing exactly what the apostles warned not to do. I know it, Mackenzie. That's, I mean, that's the point. First Thessalonians five, Paul's ending the letter to the Thessalonians with these final instructions. Verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Can I just say this? If you're watching and there's, there's worshipers watching, worship leaders, band members, choir members, frontline singers, whatever, make sure there's plenty of rejoicing in your worship and your praise. Make sure there's plenty of rejoicing. Rejoice always. We've got too much worship that has no joy attached to it. None. It's so draggy and so sad it, 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 it's like, 
It's man-focused. It's not even God-focused. Make sure that you add that in the recipe. Rejoice always. Let your praise and your worship be filled with rejoicing. Set that atmosphere for God to move. What you're doing, worship and praise in and of itself, is not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. It sets the stage for our hearts to receive from the word and from the spirit. Sorry about that. I banged the table. It sets the stage for us to manifest the presence of God, to receive the word, to receive the move of God's spirit. Puts our heart in position. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Look at this now. Verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. (laughs) How much is this happening in our churches? Do not quench the spirit. Don't do it. You know why he had to command this? The reason Paul had to command this is because the flesh wants to quench the spirit. Your carnal nature wants to quench the spirit. That's why Paul had to say, don't do it. You'll be tempted. You don't have to, te- you have, you don't have to command somebody or instruct somebody to do something they won't be tempted to do. Tempted not to do. You see what I mean? Why would Paul have to give this instruction if it wasn't going to be a temptation? Don't quench the spirit. Why would he say that? Because the flesh, the carnal nature is at war with the spirit nature and the flesh doesn't want the Holy ghost to move the flesh. The carnal part of any human does not want God's interaction with man wants to do what he wants to do, not what God wants to do. So don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Look at that. Don't despise prophecies. Well, I don't know all these people prophesy. Don't despise it. I'll tell you what, I would rather err on the side of listening and receiving prophecy, not mocking it. So I don't think that was from God. You you do realize some prophecies take time to come to pass, unless there's a time frame attached to the prophecy. There are prophecies that take time to come to pass. So don't despise it. If you've not seen it come to pass yet, but it's, it bears witness with your spirit and it doesn't contradict the word of God, give it time. I don't know. We're so quick to call everybody a false prophet. Maybe start to realize that some prophecies take time to come to pass. I mean, look at Old Testament prophecies. They took time to come to pass. And so don't. Don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophecies. Now, if a prophecy contradicts the written word of God, then throw it out. It's not from God because God is not going to uh, say something to you, prophesy something that contradicts his own written word. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. But at the same time, recognize the fact the prophecies, some of them have time to take time to come to pass. And if it bears witness with your spirit, I'm saying this again, because people let go of their word too quickly. If it bears witness with your spirit, if it, if it lines up with God's word, then pray it out. 
I have a, um, I have a, a blo- an article that I wrote on our blog. It's the latest. It's the latest article that we released on the blog, and it's how to receive your prophetic word. If if a word has come to you, it, you know there are things that you need to do to have to see that come to pass. I use the story of Elijah in First Kings chapter seventeen and eighteen. If you don't, if you've not seen it, if you've never gone to it, um, you can check it out miracleword.com forward slash blog. You'll see it. It's the top post on the, uh, on the blog you need to read it because there are things Elijah did and he was the prophet to receive the word that he got in his spirit. Too many people let go of their word. Too many people let go of their word and, and don't stay in faith on it and don't believe for it to come to pass. And new Testament prophecy is different than old Testament prophecy. If you didn't know that. That's why in the, in old Testament prophecy, if you got it wrong, they killed you. (laughs) We don't do that today. Thank God. No, Paul taught that new Testament prophecy can be judged by the others that are sitting around that are also prophesying because in the new Testament, we're not led by prophets or prophecy. We are led by the Holy spirit in the old Testament. They were led by prophecy and they were led by prophets. Because nobody in the Old Testament could be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so that's the key. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So we're not to despise prophecies. We're not to quench the Holy Spirit. And we're not to forbid speaking in tongues. We, I mean, this is what the Bible, the New Testament is teaching Christians I mean, you're going to pull all this out and say, well, that's not for us today. It's for New Testament believers. Don't despise the moving of the Holy Ghost. Don't despise the power of God. Don't allow the spirit of this world, the antichrist spirit of this world, hold you back from believing what the Bible teaches should be a normal occurrence among believers a normal occurrence among believers. And you know, I, I, it's like you hear people talk about it. I don't appreciate it, but you know, it's like you hear, if you hear these guys talk, these guys that are skeptics, they're skeptical of God's power as though God's power diminishes. Well, if you, you know, if you were able to look through the book of Acts, uh, it seems as though, the miracles and the signs and the wonders were more prevalent in the early part of Acts and that as Acts begins to continue through and you begin to see the church established and you see the canon of scripture coming to pass through the epistles and as you see these things uh, coming into place, it's as though the uh, miraculous power of God begins to diminish in the church and um, you start to see that uh, God begins to remove his miracle signs and wonders from the church as the church is being formed. And as we start to, this is what they teach. You know, later Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletum uh, and rather than healing him, you begin to see God's power diminishing. Uh, what are you going to teach? That God is not always the same, that he does change? What are you going to teach? That Jesus Christ is not the same yesterday, today, and forever? What are you going to teach that something, I mean, like, here's what blows my mind. Here's what blows my mind. Why, if the method is functional, 
if the method is functional and it was the method that Jesus himself used to prove his Messiahship, and it was, read the story of when John's disciples come to question Christ. Are you the one or do we look for another? Jesus didn't get offended at that question. He said, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the deaf hear. He goes through the miracles. He didn't say, well, you should have just believed that I am the Messiah. I shouldn't have to prove to you. You should already. He said, no, no, no. You go back and tell him, here's the proof that I am the son of God. Here's the proof that I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. The blind see, the deaf hear. The poor have the gospel, the dead are raised. Think about this. That, that shows you that Christ reserves the right to produce those miracles. Christ, not only does he receive the, reserve the right for himself, he reserves it for his apostles. He reserves it for his believers. Can't be the devil doing these things. Because how could Jesus have used that as proof that he was the son of God, if it's something that the devil could do too. That doesn't even make logical sense. Of course I'm the Messiah. Look at my healing miracles. But then you got preachers today, skeptical preachers, denominational pastors that will tell you, well, if you're seeing those kinds of signs and wonders and miracles today, that's a deception from the enemy. If the devil could do those things, then it makes Christ's use of that proof irrelevant. He would never have pointed to something that the devil could also do. How easy of a deception would that have been for the devil to begin to produce signs, wonders, and miracles and heal the sick so that those who were believing, and let me tell you, it caused people to believe. It caused people to believe on Jesus. Let me show you gospel of John chapter two. Listen to verse 23, John 2, 23. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. You see that. They, his signs caused many to believe on his name. If the devil could replicate those signs, then what's the point of them being the proof he's the son of God? You could easily dilute his claim. And the same thing's true today. Do you realize that when we see the power of God at work today, it's still proof that Jesus is alive. It's still proof that he's the Messiah. It's still proof he's the son of God. It's still proof that he's coming back. You realize that? Doesn't change. The thought process is the same. It's the same. You see. And so these pastors and these leaders that don't want the Holy Ghost moving in their churches, what in the world's going on? Why are you removing the the force that God sent to the earth that Christ said, I'll pray to the father and he'll send you another comforter. Why are you removing the influence that the Holy ghost gives us as believers 
that God sent to us as a gift. Think about it. It's the great outside of Jesus. It's the greatest gift that we've ever received. So why are we throwing off, disregarding the greatest gift that we've ever received in history because it makes people uncomfortable? Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to please? At what point do we, are we going to realize what a waste of time it is to make sinners happy with what we're doing in our churches? At what point are we going to realize that? I don't care. I literally don't give a crap if any sinner thinks what I'm doing is cool or good or approves of it. I'm here to deliver a message to you like a paper boy. You have a choice to either accept the message or reject it. That's up to you. But whether or not you like the message, I don't care. Whether or not you like what God's doing in the earth, I don't care. It's not my job to make the gospel more palatable. It's a message that is just true. People either like it, they don't like it, they accept it, they reject it. That's not on me. That's not on me. That's on them. <laughs> That's on them. And so, you know, we try to sit around and make our churches palatable to the unbeliever. Oh, that's cool. There are churches, you think I'm joking about this. I'm not joking. This is real. There are churches that have gone so far down that line that they're opening their church services with secular music. ACDC songs, Katy Perry songs, Justin Bieber songs, Bruno Mars songs. You think I'm joking and I wish I was, but it's not a joke. It's true. There are churches that are literally opening their services with secular songs. Why? In God's house. For what purpose? For what purpose? What a waste of time. You should shut the doors on that church, lock them up, spray paint Ichabod on it, and burn the thing to the ground. Burn it to the ground. It's not a church. It's a social club. It's a social club. When... Is there going to be a group of people? And I, and I know that there already are, but I'm saying, when are, when are more people going to wake up and realize dead, dry religion doesn't change anybody, anybody it's <laughs> look at the new Testament. It was the Lord working with them with signs following that caused many to be saved. It's what caused somebody to be added to the church. Thousands were added, crowds of men and women, 5,000 added. Why? They not only heard the gospel, they saw the signs and the wonders. What caused Samaria to believe when Philip went there in Acts chapter 8? The signs and the wonders and the gospel. That's what caught everyone's attention and got them to listen intently to Philip. The signs, the wonders, demons cast out, people healed, people delivered, the gospel preached, they believed the good news, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Peter and John came from Jerusalem, laid their hands on all those believers, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. You understand? So how in the world are you going to say, yeah, God was really crushing it with the early church, but you know what? He decided to stop using that method because it was just, it worked too well. No. And for anybody that's like, well, you know, really, uh, if you look at it, 
Signs, wonders, and miracles were decreasing. How is it then that, that it was like still commanded by God through the book of James, Jesus' brother? That was, the, that was literally the instruction. Are there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church who will lay their hands on them and anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Either, either the Holy Ghost who inspired James to write that is lying to us or that when they prayed the prayer of faith in the early church after the book of Acts, after all that, canon of scripture and all, you know, and I understand where, where, where they were at on canon, but let me just say something about the scriptures. People act like we didn't really have a completed Bible until centuries later. No, these people were accepting what they were getting from the apostles as scripture at the time. The Bible even proves that. Do you know Peter said multiple times, Peter, as he's still writing his letters, Peter refers to Paul's letters as scripture from God. So don't tell me that they didn't view it as scripture until 300 years later at some, you know, at some synod or at some, you know, diet or at some, you know, council. That might've been when they all agreed what they recognized as the complete, but they were seeing these things as scripture, as they were going out. The churches were getting letters from Paul and recognizing that it wasn't from Paul. It was from God. It's from God. Why do you think they kept reading it in the churches and they followed it to the T? And why do you think Paul sent Timothy to teach them how to live like he lived? They recognized what they were getting was from God. Peter said it in his own letter. He said, Paul, when he writes you, as he does with the other scriptures, referring to Paul's letters as scriptures. <laughs> and so you, you're tell me, well, you know, once they got the Bible, now, they already knew they were getting word, the word from God. And they were seeing signs, wonders, and miracles. They were seeing the power of God move. <laughs> you know. And by the way, anybody that doubts this, just keep studying church history. Go check out the early church fathers. Read the Didache. Go read Irenaeus. Go read Polycarp. Go read some of these early church fathers that were reporting that they still were seeing supernatural things happen after the last original apostle died, John, who was the youngest of all the apostles. But after John died and his understudy, Polycarp, started to write and Irenaeus began to write and you know all these other guys. You start, you know, you, you, you see that their own stories of what's going on in the early church. And there were, they were seeing signs and wonders and miracles. They're seeing demons cast out. They're seeing people raised from the dead. They're seeing power of God at work. So don't tell me it stopped with the last apostle and don't tell me that it got, it just diluted as the early church. Came. It didn't, it didn't. And today miracles are still happening. It's just that sadly, the people that sometimes get the most press are the nut jobs that are off their rocker that are, they've got, uh, they, they truly are false prophets and false teachers. They don't teach the gospel. They don't preach sound doctrine. They're not living holy lifestyles and it all comes out and it's a disgrace to the name of Jesus Christ and to the body of Christ. And they, uh, sadly, they get the most press because they're, they're the ones that seem to be the most, uh, you know, Everybody wants to, always wants to cover what's the, the most edgy and the most wild and the most out there stuff. People running around dressed like a biker, kicking people in the chest and screaming, bam. Let me tell you something. You're not Emerald Lagasse. 
Meanwhile, then everybody's let down when somebody finds out that they've been sleeping with hookers and snorting lines of cocaine before every service. You didn't have to wonder. I could have told you before the whole thing started. Because all you got to do by the discerning of spirits is take one look at the dude and know he's unclean. People have no discernment in the body of Christ. No discernment. None. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Did you get down there to that revival yet? It ain't a revival. It's not even the Holy Ghost. It's unbelievable. You know, like, I don't know, I don't know what, what happened to that guy. He fell. Like, he wasn't it. He wasn't with it during the revival. And praise God for, for God's grace and his mercy. And I pray that the, these people that are going through that get it together and get saved and, you know, walk in holiness and make it to heaven. But they got no business in pulpits preaching the gospel to people and laying hands on people. There's some people I wouldn't want. The, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to let these people lay hands on me. And that is not based on pride. It's called wisdom. It's crazy. That's right, Winona. Lovers of money, lovers of self. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. I don't need to be a celebrity. If God wants to promote me, he'll promote me. But I don't need to have selfies with celebrities. I don't need to be running around doing, you know, I, I don't want to get off on that. I'll start. People are lovers of themselves. Instead of lovers of God and lovers of his word. Amen, Tina. What a great testimony. Her rotor cuff was healed in their revival service on Wednesday night. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Faith. I'm just telling you that we're living in a day that more than ever we need the Holy Ghost at work in our churches, in our personal lives, in our families, in our business. Whatever we set our hand to do, we need the Holy Ghost involved. We don't need to have less moving or manifestation of the Holy Ghost. I'll finish this rant by saying this. All of these things that people point to, well, you know, if, if we have this going on in our churches, it'll freak out the visitors. People won't come back. It's not the Holy Ghost that's weirding people out. It's weird people in your church that are weirding people out. If you've got a lady who's so into her flag waving ministry that she carts in a golf club case, a golf bag filled with her prophetic flags and her spandex outfit, and she's prancing around the church during worship, f waving her flag and BO in everybody's face and calling it the Holy Ghost and people are weirded out by it. Guess what? So is this preacher. I'm weirded out by it. Wear normal clothes and stop waving your flags in everybody's face. And I'm not talking about the dance team. Because if your church has a dance team, God bless the dance team. We've got a great one at our church. I'm talking about people that are like, they're just rogue prophetic praise dancers. And you know, you can actually, the thing is, you can actually know their heart and know their spirit by how they respond to an instruction. I was in a service one time and a pastor asked one of these people who was doing their whole prophetic praise dance with a flag and spandex things because they always want to be seen by people. They always be, want to be right in the front so the whole congregation can see their routine. 
And I watched as a pastor said, ma'am, if you're going to do that, would you mind just doing it in the back where uh, it's not a distraction to anybody? Well, when you huff and puff and jam your flag back into your bag and huff and puff and just march out, my ministry's not appreciated in this church and slam the door on your way out. It's a sign that maybe, just maybe, you weren't doing it by the Holy Ghost. That you weren't doing it in the anointing of God. If you can't even take one instruction from a leader without getting freaked out and angry and just, that shows that you were full of pride and that you wanted to be seen and that you didn't have any Holy Ghost moving through you at all. That's what that is. It's not about the Holy Ghost manifesting in our churches that drives people out. How about the dude in the lobby that has to stop every visitor to give him a prophetic word and hasn't brushed his teeth in three years and would need four pounds of breath mints to even be able to stand to talk to the dude? Forget halitosis. He's got helitosis. He's got a demon spirit under his tongue, making his breath smell like Somebody fed a baby Indian food and crapped it out in their diaper, and that's what your breath smells like. Your breath smells like a baby ate Indian food and crapped it into a diaper. I don't know. These people just don't appreciate the Holy Ghost. That's why they ain't coming back. No, they're not coming back because you're a weirdo. Just friggin' weird. They don't like the Holy Ghost, I guess, at this church. No, they love the Holy Ghost. They don't like your stinky prophecies. Hello, my name's Harold. (laughs) It's like, dude, it's not the Holy Ghost that's driving people away. It's the weirdos that nobody speaks to in your church because the church doesn't even have enough authority in the leadership to give somebody a corrective word. If, you can, if you've got a pastor that's not strong enough to tell somebody that's distracting in the service to just take a seat, take a seat. I've had to correct people. It's not wrong to bring correction. If you're being a distraction to everybody else that's trying to worship and you're bringing the attention to yourself versus bringing the attention to the Lord, it's probably not the Holy Ghost. And we need leaders. See, because that's the thing. We've got brother Van who's had to pull over. He, he couldn't stay right driving on that. Do you, do you understand? It, it, here's the point I'm making to you. It's not the Holy ghost. That's weird. It's people that are weird that don't, they, they don't understand how to control their weirdness and no one corrects them because we don't want anybody getting offended. I want people to have correction because correction is just direction. If you can accept it, You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. It's just weird people. And because nobody's ever, uh, you know, we don't even, I, I don't have a church, but if I did, I wouldn't allow this. When I worked on staff with my uncle, we didn't allow, we don't, we don't want bathroom prophets. We don't want people waiting for you in the bathroom to give you a word from the Lord. This is not your house. We don't want, we don't want hallway prophetesses stopping every other person. Every visitor, I got a word for you from the Holy Ghost. Let them get the word from the house they're attending. Unqualified people running around calling themselves prophetesses and prophets 
God's never set them aside to be a prophet or a prophetess. Just be a normal person for a while. How about just be a normal person? Somebody just told me recently that they, they've like a, 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 they had to be delivered from a demon. And now they're being raised into a place where it's like, dude, if you just had a demon a few weeks ago, God's not raising you up to be, to be like a, a leader on the topic of spiritual warfare. Say, so how about sit down and be discipled for a while, sit under some leadership, be raised up, be trained, be equipped, be matured. Unbelievable. Just receive for a while. Yeah. If I have one more person that feels the need to lay hands on me in a lobby before I walk in to preach at a church, I'm just, I'm just going to start, I'm just going to start <laughs> freaking out. You're going to see like the Tasmanian devil come out in the, in the lobby. <laughs> Try just being a normal person functioning in society as a whole first. It's not the Holy Ghost that's driving people away. It's weirdos. I let me just tell you the let me just tell you the truth. I've watched the Holy Spirit move in manifestation my entire life. I've been in revival services almost every night of my life since I was two weeks old to today. To this day. I'll be in a revival service tonight, tomorrow night, the next 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 night. And I've been in them my whole life in Pentecostal. Power of the Holy Ghost, revival services. I've watched God move. First of all, you're not going to tell me it's not real. Second of all, I've watched it happen and I've never, let me, let me say this to you. I have never in 39 years of life, I have never seen the Holy Spirit move and it drive people away from Jesus. Not once. Not ever. And I've been in a lot of services. Uh, I've seen a lot of manifestations of the Spirit of God. A lot. It's not a rare thing. It's never been a rare thing. And I've never seen the Holy Ghost move once and it drive people away from Jesus. I've only ever seen it make people more hungry for God, come to the altar to be saved, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, receive their healing, be delivered from addiction, be delivered from demon possession. I've only ever seen the Holy Spirit do good things. I've never seen the Holy Spirit push somebody out of the church, push somebody to uh, not receive Jesus. People get so weirded out that I've never seen it. Now, on the other hand, I've seen religious weirdos doing their thing and the result being people are turned off to church, but it's not because of God and it's not because of his word. And it's not, listen, if you honestly think I had a gay couple, two guys thought maybe I'll share this because it's June and it's pride month. I had two guys attend and you know, you know me, if you watch this broadcast, I don't pull punches. I don't pull punches on any subject, including sin. And I had two gay guys, a couple, and they, and I was preaching in a place. They attended every single night of the revival. They were more faithful than some of the church people. And I could see every night the Holy Ghost working on them. I see certain nights there'd be tears running down their face as they felt the conviction of the Holy Ghost. 
I didn't pull punches. I preached the full gospel of God. I didn't dance around things. And then on the final night, actually the second to the final night, the, the night before the last night, it was Thursday night, they both came down to the altar to receive Jesus. And on Friday night when we were going to anoint with oil, only one of them came back. So I, I can only assume a breakup took place after they got delivered and saved. I'm not going to pull punches, but notice, they say, well, and then here's what people will do. Well, people don't like me because I got the Holy Ghost. No, they don't like you because you're mean or you're weird or you're stupid. One of the three, mean, weird, stupid, and maybe a combination. You might be weird and stupid. You might be mean and stupid. You might be mean and weird. You might be mean, weird, and stupid. (laughs) The Holy Spirit draws men to Jesus. Draws men to Jesus. Doesn't push people from Jesus. Draws them. And I played that clip at the beginning of this uh, broadcast so people would see uh, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It might, might seem odd to your flesh, but I can still watch those today and still feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I'm watching those. And people don't even realize. They don't even realize the, uh, the impact that Brother Hagin had on the nation of America and around the world. They don't even realize the number of souls that have come into the kingdom because of his faithful ministry. Here's a man that ministered faithfully for 60 plus years, never had scandal, was married to the same wife when he passed away as he was at the very beginning, Miss Aretha. I mean... A man that never had financial scandal, sex scandal, you know, nothing, nothing. Just steady, straight, faithful to God, faithful to his word. Were there people that didn't like him and still don't like him today? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean anything. There's a whole, there are going to be whole groups of people that don't like you if you serve the Lord and do what he's called you to do. That's no measuring stick. Jesus, in fact, said that. Beware when all men speak well of you, for so they did of the false prophets. That's no measuring stick, whether people like your ministry or not. It's the fruit of your ministry. It's the fruit of your life. I'm just telling you, we need the Holy Ghost more than we ever have. More than we ever have. And I want to pray for you at the end of this, I guess I'll call it just a rant today. This Holy Ghost rant. (laughs) Because I'm so sick of seeing people talk about the Holy Spirit as though he's unnecessary. As though he's just some side thing for a small group some side thing for a a Wednesday night core meeting. He's for every meeting. He's for your Sunday morning. He's for your Sunday night if you have one. He's for your Wednesday night if you have one. He's for your small groups. He's for everything. He should be involved in everything we do. He's our guide. He empowers us. He equips us. He's a gift from heaven. It's not an it, it's a him. Amen. He's not a dove. He's not a cloud. He's not a breath. He's not a feeling. He's a person and he's got feelings. He can be grieved. He can be made happy. He can be quenched or he can be free to move. We've got to be Holy Ghost people. That's who we are. We're Holy Ghost people. If you're a part of the Victory Tribe, you're Holy Ghost people. This is a Holy Ghost ministry and you're Holy Ghost people. It's who we are. 
We're not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. We're not ashamed of his move. We're not ashamed of his power. We're not ashamed that he manifests his presence. We're not ashamed of him. Not ashamed that I speak in tongues. I'm not ashamed that I lay hands on the sick. I'm not ashamed that I shout and jump and dance. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost and neither should you be. We need more of his presence and manifestation, not less, not less. And I'm going to pray today for every one of us, every one of us, that the Lord would give us a boldness like we've never had, like the apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians. He said to the church, pray for me, that God would give me boldness to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to pray that God gives every one of us boldness today and that gives us a fire to stand for the things of the spirit. We're spiritual people. We're not dead, dry, religious people. Praise God, faith. Praise God. Faith got filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time in 2020, beginning to speak in tongues. Amen, Dawn. I'm with you for more. More. Thank you for being on. But I need to pray for, there's people watching from all over the world. I've seen people logging on from all over the world. We're getting, we're, we're having people saved all over the world. My phone was blowing up yesterday with salvations coming in from all these different nations of the world. All these different nations. Can I give you a testimony? I mean, this gets me excited. I don't know if it gets you excited, but it should because you're a part of this ministry. And when you see these things happen, it's like, man, thank you, Jesus. Look at this. Here's one from last night in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, where we preached salvation. Here's one uh, yesterday from Nigeria, salvation. Praise the Lord. Here's one from Maseru State in Lesotho, saved. Here's one from Edo State, saved. Here's another one from Pennsylvania, saved. Here's one from Jamaica, saved. Here's one from Kabwe State, saved. Here's one from Anambra State, saved in Aqua. Here's one from Abuja, Nigeria, saved. Here's one from Mombasa, saved. Kenya, Ogun State, saved. Plateau State, Central Nigeria, saved. Northern Cape, saved. Northwest, Lahurushte, saved. That's Bobi Sephora. Abuja, again in Nigeria, saved. Namibia, saved. Thank you, Jesus. They're coming in. My phone's blowing up with salvations from television and broadcast. I'm seeing it. We're seeing it. We don't need less of the Holy Ghost. We need more of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to pray with you today. I want you, if you can lift your hands, lift your hands. Not if you're driving a car. (laughs) Stay pulled over. But if you're not driving a car, lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every precious member of the victory tribe. I pray that you would give us a boldness, boldness like we've never had and a love for the Holy Spirit, a a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, a love for his power and his manifestations. Let us see more of it, Lord, not less of it. We will press in by faith and stand by faith to see you move on this generation. Let souls come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in the mighty name. That's above every name. Before it's too late, before Jesus comes, let us see salvation after salvation after salvation. Let our churches be filled with new souls, not just conversions, but disciples, 
disciples. We don't want just decisions. We want disciples in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would use us for your glory. If there's people watching that have not been filled with the Holy Ghost, fill them with the Holy Ghost today. Fill them with the mighty Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Let the power of God come upon every person that's watching me today. And Lord, I pray that as revival is hitting our nation and other nations, that we would see your glory. We know what your word teaches. We know that we'll be the minority in the final days. We know that there'll be a remnant of people that have not turned their backs on you. We know that it's a straight and it's a narrow path, but give us more, Lord. Give us more, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Give us more. I pray as we're hearing these revivals in Pennsylvania that people would be supernaturally touched. Let prayers be answered. Let lives be changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now I'm praying for my, my family, the Victory Tribe members. Whatever it is, whatever it is that the enemies tried to send to destroy your people, Lord, blow your breath from heaven today and blow every wicked thing out of their way and out of their house and out of their body, out of their life. Touch them supernaturally. And let this be a turnaround day by the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. If you believe it, shout amen. Throw some fire up in the comments section. If you're happy about the fact that you've got the Holy Ghost, let the Lord know that you're happy. Rejoice. As I read to you from Thessalonians, rejoice always. Amen. Give God praise for what he's doing in your life. Hallelujah. Give God praise for what he's doing in your life. It's powerful. It's powerful. I want to charge you today to sow a seed. I want to charge you. You saw the fruit. I'm reading you the fruit that's coming in. You know what this ministry is doing. We're not stopping. We're in nonstop. I mean, I talked to Carolyn a couple of days ago and she's like, man, our plan now that we have the studio was we need time to do more work for the Lord in the television department, in the Miracle Word University department, in the kids department, all that we're doing. And so we, we needed to schedule time. Of course, we minister to you as often as possible. And the heart that we have to see people touched by God, we had planned to try to do two weeks in revival two weeks at home working in the studio, two weeks in revival, two on, two off. It's not worked that way. The doors keep opening and we keep going nonstop. We're going to do our best, but doors are opening and people need a touch from the Holy Ghost. People need a touch. I watched last night. Can I tell you, and I, I wish I had pictures that I could just throw up on the broadcast. We'll show them to you on social today. But you know, in, in a church building that they just purchased up here in Honesdale is an old, what was that? A Presbyterian church. Old Presbyterian, beautiful cathedral style church, stained glass windows. You'll see the pictures. And Pastor Tyler said, I was wondering how many people would come because we don't have any air conditioning installed in this building. It's, it's summer now. It was like 90 degrees yesterday. I'm wondering like how many people are going to actually come to an, an, a, a church that's not air conditioned in the middle of summer. And we had a full house with people in the balcony last night. Why? Because people are hungry for a move of God. People are hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost. People are being touched by God's presence. And we're not going to stop. You are with us. We are one family. The Victory Tribe stands together to see God touch this nation and this world one more time before Jesus comes. And so I'm charging you today. I'm charging you to sow a seed by faith. 
And you can see there on the screen, uh, you can go to the website, miracleword.com. But we have multiple ways for you to sow. All the ways are listed on the website. So if you do Zelle transfers, we have that. If you do Cash App, PayPal, we have that. Uh, if you'd like to use hashtag donate in Facebook or Twitter, not YouTube, but Facebook or Twitter, you can do that. Um, we've got it set up very soon. We're going to have it set up to where you can even, if you have a crypto wallet and you want to sow cryptocurrency, you'll be able to do that as well. Whatever you want to do, but I want to encourage you to do something by faith and do something largely that'll move the hand of God on your life. I mean, do you believe or do you not believe that June can be your month of a turnaround, even financially? That this will be a year where I told you in the beginning, we're going to run through 2021. We're going to run through 2021. And I want you to see this because we, that's why I read you this. That's why I let you know what's going on. That's the fruit we're seeing. And let me, let me just say something. If we're involved in something and I'm going to be very open with you because I want you to know these things. I want you to know these things. Um, if we're not seeing fruit in an area, I'm not going to bang my head against a wall. And so, oh, we got to keep doing it till we see fruit. If we're not seeing fruit, I'm out of there. I'm out of there. There's one of the state, one of the television stations that we were on. We've been on it now for like, what? Let's see, March, April, May, June, uh, and February. So five or six months we've been on the station. We've seen one salvation. Nobody's contacted from that station. We've seen one salvation. I'm done. I'm not banging my head against the wall. If it's not producing fruit, we're out. That's called being a good steward of what God puts in front of you. So I want you to understand the things we're doing in this ministry, we're not just goofing off. We're pressing in to see souls saved. And if it's not producing any fruit, we're out. And we already called the station, let them know we're not going to be uh, participating anymore. We're done. We're going to put that, we're going to put those resources where they're causing more fruit to be produced. So I, I found another I found another, we're already on television in Jamaica, covers the whole island in Jamaica. Now we're, we're on a station coming up after this one. We're going to be on a station that doesn't just cover Jamaica, every island in the Caribbean. And so I'm not, I'm going to put my uh, resources where faith is, uh, is being preached and the fruits being produced. We're not just letting it fall on deaf ears. I'm not going to let it fall on deaf ears. And you're a part of that. And so I want you to see this. It's time for miracles to take place in our families, in our lives, in the nations of the world. Devil thought he could shut down the church in 2020. You can't shut down the church. You can't put the church in trouble. Who does the devil think he is? We're victorious. And so would you stand with me and Carolyn? Would you partner with us? Maybe the Lord's speaking to you uh, today to go on there to miracleword.com and click partner and stand with us in a partnership way on a monthly basis. What can you do every month? If you ask the Lord today, are you able to stand at $100 a month? Could you do that? Could you stand at $500 a month, $250 a month, $85 a month? What can you do on a monthly basis that would push this gospel forward? These, this fruit we're seeing produced, you're a part of that. It gets credited to your account. You're a part of this ministry. Taya, the station uh, is called MTM for the Caribbean. MTM. It's from Kingston, Jamaica. It hits every island in the Caribbean. And so I want to thank you. Those of you that are standing with us and partnering with this ministry and sowing into this ministry. Here's what we're doing in June. It's an awesome book by Brother Kenneth Hagin that you saw the clip at the beginning. Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity. That's our gift to you. 
If you're partnering at $85 or more this month, this is what we're going to send to you. And what you need to do to receive it, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, and you can fill out the form to let us know you sowed this month so we know where to send this book. And we'll get it out to you ASAP. And that's our gift to you for the month of June. Of course, anybody that's sowing largely, that's true actually. Jenna's making the point, $85 partnership is equivalent to three Starbucks drinks a week. Three Starbucks drinks a week. It's wild. It's like one dinner with your family. But I know God's encouraging people to do more. There's people that are sewing. Do you realize there's people right now that are sewing at $1,000, at $500 a month? Do you realize there's people sewing at large levels? That's a $6,000 a year partner. Somebody that's sewing $500 a month, that's $6,000 a year. The question is, there's people that are sewing $15,000 a year. There's people standing at large amounts. There's people that are giving very largely. And so I want you to just ask yourself, what is it? Because you know what's, what happens is sometimes we get our mindset to too small of a place and we think too small. I always want to put things in front of my eyes that make me think bigger. I always want to look at what makes me have a larger vision of life. I like to be around stuff that makes me look. I like to go look at the, even last night when I was at that church and yesterday I was looking at cathedrals in Europe and thinking to myself, these cathedrals took so much money to build. One of them that I looked at in Scotland took 160 years to build, which means people were sewing into the building of that cathedral that would never worship in it once. They'd be dead before it was built. And they understood the importance for the future. (laughs) They understand the importance for the future. The next generation needs the gospel too. It's part of what we're doing. And so go to miracleword.com. Thank you. I appreciate every one of you. We have some of the most generous partners that you could have. Faithful people. And I love you. And I appreciate you. The other thing, um, yeah, Jenna said, you said something one time that never left me. I never buy myself something that I haven't given to God first. And what I meant by that was I would never go buy, you know, a $2,000 wristwatch if I've never given $2,000 in an offering plate. I would never go and buy myself, you know, some, some toy, you know, a $15,000 motorcycle if I've never given God $15,000. I can't imagine, you know, peeling off a $10 bill and throwing it in the offering And then going out and buying myself all new hunting gear, Sitka gear, all new, you know, 30-06 and, you know, a side-by-side and getting all the gears. I can't imagine spending all that on me for like a hobby of hunting and then peeling a $10 bill off in the offering plate and saying, here's what I need. Here's what I think of your kingdom, Lord. Here's what I think of my hunting hobby. I can't imagine putting that first over the kingdom of God. And if you live that way, all the other stuff is added unto you. I gave the testimony about the watches the other day. It's like, I can't stop, I can't stop receiving. I've got too much seed in the ground now to even, I couldn't stop it if I tried because the harvest will come from the seeds. That's how it works. I'm in Pennsylvania, Scranton, Peckville Assembly of God tonight through Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you're anywhere close, and we've already had Victory Tribe members come in. I've been posting pictures with Victory Tribe members. If you're anywhere close to this area of Pennsylvania, We'd love to have you this week. Every night, 7 p.m., I'll be live with you in the daytime at 10.30 a.m. More rants are on the way, I'm sure. 
But every night we're having service at 7 right here at Peckville Assembly of God. All the details are right there on the website. Also, next week, Sunday through Friday, being uh, outside of Dallas, Texas, Rowlett, Texas. And uh, if you can make those, Church in the City, Pastor Mike Hankins, we'd love to see you there in Texas if you can make it. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait uh, to be there. It's going to be great. Jenny, that's awesome. It'll, it'll be great to have you guys. Thank you. I love you guys a lot. Thank you so much for hanging with me today. Um, and thank you for standing with us. Thank you for partnering with us. Thanks for praying for us. Last thing I'll say is uh, not only do we have a new magazine coming out very soon, but uh, if you'd like to stay connected via text, we've got some drops getting ready to happen. We've got some merch getting ready to come. We've got some other things that we're getting ready to do. God, I, I got an idea the other day of something I really want to develop for you guys. I really love the look of it already. Uh, this is where you're going to hear about it first on text. If you're connected in the text family, this is where you're going to get the info on the drops on all the stuff that we're doing coming up. All this, it always goes out to these people first because this is our social media changes so much. The algorithms change so much. A lot of times we can't even, you don't even see our posts. I get people writing in, uh, the alert's not even going off when you're going live anymore. You need to check your bell. You need to check all that. Sometimes on the updates, they turn them off. I don't know why. But if you want to be connected via text to the inner circle, go to miracleword.com forward slash text. Sign up, put your information in my phone book, and then you'll get texts from me. It always comes from me. It never comes from anybody else. It comes from me. And this is where you're going to get messages from me. You can message me. But all the information on what's coming is going to go here first. And, and I mean days ahead of time. So you're going to want to be on that list. I love you. I'll see you again tonight at 7, tomorrow morning and all week at 1030 a.m. And uh, I love you so much. Have a great day. And I'll talk to you again very soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.